From the American College of Financial Services, it's time for NextGen in 10. I'm Ross Riskin, chair of the NextGen Advisory Task Force, and for the next 10 minutes, you'll be joined by our hosts and guests discussing topics relevant to up-and-coming financial advisors. Welcome everyone to Next Gen in 10. I'm Alana Phillips and here with me today I have Jordan Murray of Acord and Fong Wall Strategies and Lincoln Financial Advisors. Thanks for being here, Jordan. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Now, Jordan, I know you also have grown through practice acquisitions, and this is an incredibly sexy topic as I speak with advisors, especially next gen <laughs> advisors. They're always asking me, how do I acquire a practice? What's the process like? So can you walk us through a little of how maybe you identified some of these practices to acquire and, you know, why did you decide that that was the right way to grow? So first of all, before we get too far into this topic, I want to point out at the very beginning, it is not as easy as it looks. It is not particularly sexy and it really should be evaluated on its own merits. It is not buying growth. It is not buying, you know, a ticket to easy street. It is not that at all. And so if, if you're approaching this thinking, man, if I could just mortgage my house or cut a check, I would, you know, da, 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 I'd be at this level or that level or get this level of respect or whatever. It is not that. It needs something that needs to be looked at on its own merits, just like a rental property or, or, or something else. It's an investment. And I would say we got a good price on the practice that we acquired. Some might say it's, it was a great price and others might say we overpaid. But I do want to point out, you can overpay for a practice. You need to evaluate what that practice looks like and what it costs. Because it, even though I looked at this one as more of a no-brainer, they are not no-brainers. And you can overpay and you can get stuck in a practice that is not profitable for five or seven or maybe even 10 years. And so don't just jump at the, any opportunity to buy a practice, uh, really take a step back and evaluate it. So in terms of this practice, this practice was actually brought to me by my business partner. He's the relationship guy. And so he came to me and said, hey, we've got an opportunity to buy out a senior planner, and I believe it's a tremendous opportunity. And then what I would do next is I would look at kind of how well run that practice is. The practice that we acquired was a 403B only, I should say, practice. So on one hand, it was largely a proprietary 403B product. There was some outside business, but that was not the core of the business. Uh, it did not have any administrative staff, which I would look at as a plus, not a negative at all. And it did not have an office space. The office space was, was terminating at the same time we were acquiring the business. And so uh, we looked at that combined with our planning approach and skill set and decided that we could make that business much more profitable. That there was a lot of juice left, a lot of meat on the bone, so to speak. Now, by contrast, I've seen another practice and that practice was run by a very planning-oriented, outstanding financial planner. Nobody was super, super rich, but everybody had long-term care. Everybody had life insurance. Everybody had a college plan. Everything was done for everybody. And the problem with acquiring a practice like that is if you overpay, you, you have no way of really adding a ton of value to the practice. You're just kind of stuck waiting for the practice to pay off the debt so you can move on. There's not really a lot of ways to accelerate. And so I really encourage young planners, buy small books, buy books 
that other people wouldn't be particularly interested in looking at. I'm thinking of a person I work with. His name is Ben Horn, and he's probably bought three practices, all of them, you know, probably less than $100,000 a GDC or right around that. But he's built one on top of another into a very successful practice. And oftentimes those smaller books are going to trade at a much lower multiple and are going to be a lot easier for someone to acquire. And I would say the number one thing is relationships buys businesses. It's not your practice. It's not your staff. It's not your approach. Nobody cares. Everybody sells their business to somebody they know and like. And so the very best thing you can do is you can get to know the people around you. It all starts with death, death and disability agreements. It's very non-threatening to come up to somebody and say, hey, I really like you. I really like your approach. I think I might like your clients. Do you have a death of a disability partner? Can I protect your family in that way? And maybe you can do the same for me. And before you know it, you got a death and disability agreement. And then when that person goes to retire, you, of course, are going to be the very first phone call. And this whole practice acquisition thing is a very long game. If you don't want it to be a long game, you're going to overpay because you're going to have to buy it from some other website or some other source. You're, you're going to end up either paying right at market value or over. And so I would just encourage young people, build those relationships now. You'd be surprised how quickly they may pay off. I think that's excellent. And I think that's something, you know, and I think we lost half our listeners when you told them it's not sexy to, to buy practices because they really all thought this was the sexiest thing they could do to, to grow their business, Jordan. But um, the relationship piece is so important. And as you mentioned, Martin is such a great relationship builder that way. I think across the industry and, and different groups within the industry that I know I personally have encouraged a lot of next gen advisors like yourself, like some of the advisors on your team to get involved, right? Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about the ways that Martin and you have been involved, um, you know, the, the FPA perhaps, or I know Martin is a part of the um, Asian summit within Lincoln. There's the resource group, which is the top 200 advisors um, specifically within the Lincoln organization. So you, I think you have to be out there. You have to be building those relationships as a next gen planner and not just sticking to your own cohort, but really knowing advisors that are at different stages of their career. Would you agree? I would. And, and, and back to the sexy comment, I just mean to say it's, it's not <laughs> easy. It's not, no. it's, you know, we've moved into this practice and realized that 40 to 60% of our data was unreliable. It's very hard to get in contact with people. There's a lot of risk. I mortgaged my house. I had to have a long conversation with my, a couple of long conversations with my wife about why I was buying a business that was located three hours from where we live. I've driven to and from Fresno. It's three hours each way to and from Fresno, no less than probably a hundred times. And the other thing to remember when you're buying a practice is everything you do in life, you do to the exclusion of something else. And so what people never seem to factor into the equation is the cost of their time. And so if you're spending two or three days a week running a practice somewhere else like me, I'm not spending two or three days in a week building a practice in my geographic area. And so you can't spend your time twice. And so that's what I mean when I say it's not, a, you know, a silver bullet or a magic pill. It is a way to maybe juice your growth if you do it right, 
but it is not a way to skip steps because you can't spend your time twice. I love that. I think it is so important. Evaluating the cost of your time as well as the cost of this practice and really what it's going to take from the rest of your business to be able to grow it. So thanks for sharing that with us. I know that you have gone through a, a couple of acquisitions and one really large one. And so I'm hoping that today you're going to be able to share with our next gen audience really some of the things that they should be taking into consideration if they're looking at acquiring a practice uh, in terms of their preparation work what is really important for them to think about or things that you wish that you knew going into the acquisition there's a, we made a lot of mistakes uh in this in this last acquisition some of them caused permanent damage most of them just a little bit of frustration and lost time i would say again the number one most important thing going into an acquisition is the quality of the data the quality of the crm system so uh, when we acquired this practice probably 40 to 60 percent of the data was unreliable in terms of communication about 40% of the part of the participants had working email addresses. Maybe another 10 or 20% had a work, you know, on top of that had working phone numbers. And so it was very difficult early on to effectively communicate. And so because of, of the way the practice was transitioned, we kind of went from sealing the deal to the advisor really stepping away from the practice in a period of about 90 days. And so at that same time, we were trying to acquire new office space and also hire an administrative person. So the very first thing is, is quality data. The second thing is understand the quantity of work you're undertaking, and you really only get one crack at it. And so uh, we sent out communications letters to the client, letting them know that they, the practice was being transitioned to a new group of advisors, had our names, pictures, contact information on that. And then we set out to individually call everybody and it was 3,500 people. And so obviously, you know, my business partner and I took the top, top three or 400 people. And then we had our team and we had interns that, you know, called all the way down to the last $10 account balance. And that helped, but we also had to maintain the relationships with the plan sponsors that went a little bit poorly we uncovered some issues that maybe weren't issues while the previous advisor was running running the practice but then very rapidly became issues and so i would just encourage people to staff up to be ready to go to make sure that on day one when you transition your database is good to go I know we use Redtail and theoretically with a couple of clicks of a button, we could send out 3,500 emails and communicate in mass. Uh, we did not have the ability to do that on our first day. We also, it takes time to train your people. We, we hired a staff person about a month after we acquired the practice, but it took, you know, the better part of a year to get that person totally competent at their job. And so just understand, again, you can't do your existing practice and your new practice with the same amount of people with the same amount of time. The time for the service work has to come from somewhere. And if you're not willing to sacrifice your existing practice, then you have to build in the cost of new people into your new practice. So once again, we've been speaking with Jordan Murray of Acord and Fong Wealth Strategies and Lincoln Financial Advisors. Jordan, thanks for being with us today. Absolutely, thank you so much for having me. For more episodes, visit our website at theamericancollege.edu slash podcasts.
This has been Next Gen in 10, brought to you by the American College of Financial Services.